Good morning. How are we doing? You having a good day? Anybody else during that last song? No offense to the band because it was awesome, but the background graphic, did it look like Space Jam to you, Looney Tunes? Anybody? Nobody? Space Jam's like one of the top five movies probably ever. <laughs> top three? Kevin says top three. Man, that background graphic looked like Space Jam. That was all that was going through my head. Band was fantastic. I was just thinking about Michael Jordan and Space Jam. Anyway, I digress. My name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at our church. And so if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here today. Kevin's already welcomed you. And here's what I would add. I I would just tell you, if you're here today and you've yet to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to know that our mission here is to help people find and follow Jesus. And so you're welcome uh, here today. You're one of the primary reasons that we exist as a church. And so if you'd say, hey, I'm just kicking the tires of faith. I'm just seeking out what this God thing's all about and, and Jesus thing and all that. We just want to welcome you here. We're glad that you're here. And if you're here today and you already have a relationship with Jesus and you are uh, maybe just uh, new to town, you're checking out churches or, or whatever, we welcome you as well. Uh, uh, the secondary goal of our mission is to help people find and then also follow Jesus. And so if that's you, we just want to help you get connected uh, so that you can follow Jesus. So we hope that you will take just a minute and submit that uh, connection card uh, that Kevin talked about. Just drop that in the faith box uh, at the end of the service. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25. And while you're turning there, uh, let me just ask you this question. I don't know if it's really a a question or if it's a statement, but have you ever uh, had that feeling that that you get when you uh, are anticipating some event that's coming up, some, something, you, there's a date on the calendar, you've circled it, and so maybe it's the family vacation, something's coming up, or, um, uh, you know, I don't know, what, whatever the event may be, but it's something that you're really looking forward to, and, and it's on the calendar, and, and you're living in the time between the now and the not yet, the now being today, and the event, this thing that's you're anticipating that you're really looking forward to. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a, a, a timeline, something's on the timeline and you're looking forward to, like, let me give you a few examples. Maybe you're looking forward uh, to family vacation, right, because you're going somewhere really special. And so you're in the now and that's the not yet. And so you live in this anticipation between the now and the not yet. Here's what I've discovered oftentimes. This isn't always the case. This is a generalization, but oftentimes uh, kids go crazy, in that time in between, and adults get a little bit lazy in that time in between. Here's what I mean by that. You think about the end of the school year when uh, you know it's going to be the last day of school. I was on the school board in Texas before we moved up here a year and a half ago, and, and, and most of the discipline problems and everything happened like in late April, early May because, because the natives are restless at school. Like they just go crazy. It's nuts. Like most of the disciplinary issues happen, like they happen all year long, but lots of them happen in, in the last four or five, six weeks of the school year because everybody knows soon we're going to be out of school. We're looking forward to that date. And so we're in the now and between now and then we kind of go crazy. And, and, and then if you're anything like me, adults, we often get lazy. Here's what happens when we put vacation uh, on the calendar and we circle the date. The closer we get to the date, I just, I got the do nothings. Like I want to do nothing. I just, I don't want to work, I don't want to die, I want to just do nothing because I'm anticipating vacation. And so here's why I tell you that this morning. Jesus, 
in this uh, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. We've got one week left in this series. We've been here like 30 weeks out of this year. We've been in the book of Matthew, and for the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He's been on the Mount of Olives talking to his disciples uh, about a few things. And it's very urgent because in 72 hours from when he's giving this speech, Jesus will be arrested, put on trial, and crucified. And so he has this sense of urgency to impart to the disciples the last little bits of instruction that he needs to give them before he ascends to heaven. So he's got this sense of urgency. And for three years, as he's been walking along with these disciples, he's talked with them um, from time to time about his death, that one day he's going to die. And they've not really understood that. And he's talked to them that, hey, one day after I die, a few days later, I'm going to be resurrected. And they've not really understood that. And now in chapters 24 and 25, he's talking to them about his coming again. And we believe as a foundational truth as Christ followers, as Christians, we believe that one day the Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago that we read about in the Bible, that he was a very real person, and that one day in the future that he will return again. And so in chapters 24 and 25, he's been talking about that, and we've studied this for three weeks now. A few weeks ago, we talked about some of the signs that will happen at the end of the age, and Jesus tells us, don't be alarmed by earthquakes and wars and persecution. Don't be alarmed by those things. Those are some of the signs. Then last week, we talked about the when. The disciples said, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And so last week, we talked about that, and you can't actually mark a specific date on the calendar. He said, you might be able to interpret the season when it's going to happen. And when these things start to happen, they'll happen within a generation, within a 30 or 40 year span, but you can't circle the date on the calendar. And so he's given them some of the signs. He's talked about what that will look like. He's given them kind of roughly the when. Here's when these things will occur. Now here's what he's doing. He gives some parables in chapter 25, and we're just going to take a look at one of them. Now he's going to talk about what it looks like to live on this earth and anticipate his second coming. What does it look like for the disciples? How, what should they be doing? What should their lives look like while they wait? And that extends to you and I. You see, these first Christians, these disciples thought Jesus was going to return at any moment in their very day and time. And here we are 2,000 years later. And so Jesus is imparting some very important instructions on them about what it looks like to live in the in-between the now and the not yet. And basically, he gives them this parable beginning in verse 14, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. It's the parable of the talents. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story before. And most of the times, it's been used uh, probably just to get across a, a financial point, a money point. Lots of times pastors will will use this as strictly like a a stewardship, financial, you should be tithing type kind of sermon. But here's what I want you to hear. While Jesus is talking about talents, and for sure he's talking about money on one level, the other thing that he's really talking about is faithfulness. He's just using uh, a a story, a a parable is just a story. He's just using this story about finances to get across a deeper point, and he's talking about faithfulness. And the question that uh, is in front of us today is how will we live our lives in the in-between the now and the not yet? And will we be faithful? That's what Jesus is talking about. So if you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 25, 
beginning in verse 14. Here's what I want to do. I just want to read the parable in its entirety. I want to then share with you six lessons that I think Jesus is trying to impart to his disciples, and by extension, you and I, and how we should be living our lives between now and the return of Christ. So let's take a look at this together. This is Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. He says, for it, and when he says it, he means the kingdom of heaven. For it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, And my my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so Jesus is telling the story. I need to remind you again, he's telling the story because he wants to impart to the disciples, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm not going to be around anymore. And there's some lessons here on how they should be living their lives while they wait on the return of Jesus. So I want to share with you six lessons on what we're to do that I think Jesus is trying to impart in this parable on what we're to do while we wait. And so here's the first lesson. I think the first lesson is this, is that Jesus foundationally wants us to realize that what we have is not ours. Again, on one level, this is a a, a parable about stewardship and what you do with what's been given to you. But what Jesus is wanting us to understand there in verse 1 is that what we have is not ours. See, Jesus has been using this theme in these parables. We covered one a couple of weeks ago where where there's masters and servants. You see, during this day and age, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't uncommon at all for there to be these wealthy landowners. 
and you see it some in this day and age, but wealthy landowners, maybe they owned a vineyard, maybe they owned a farm or a, a ranch, and oftentimes because they were so wealthy, they would leave and they would take vacations and they would go on journeys, and when they left, they would leave the responsibilities of the farm or the vineyard or their real estate or their property and their finances, they would leave it to some servants who, who would stay behind and manage the property and manage the estate. And so Jesus has been using this. Again, we've covered this already. And so he's just using it again. And what he's trying to impart is this, is these servants in the story knew that they weren't the owners. They were the possessors, but they were not the owners. The stuff didn't belong to them. And so what Jesus is trying to tell you and I, the things that you've been given, your money, your finances, your time, your talents, skills and abilities, and I don't mean like if you can whistle through your nose or juggle those kinds of talents, although you'd be pretty talented if you could whistle through your nose. Not those kinds of talents. Other talents and abilities, your position and authority, your influence in life, those things don't belong to you. You're a steward of those things. God has given you those things. When we read the scriptures, we read about how even in politics that God places authorities in certain places. And so the things that he's imparted to you and that he's given you, you don't own. You're just a steward. And that's something that we need to understand because until we understand the concept of ownership or lack thereof on our part, then we won't be good managers of how we use the stuff that's been given to us while we wait on Jesus' return. And so the first thing, foundationally, we need to understand is that what we have is not ours, it belongs to Jesus. Here's the second lesson that I think Jesus is trying to impart, and that's this, that we're given those things, those talents, abilities, finances, resources, we're given them as we can handle them. We're given what we can handle. Now, now here's what's somewhat unfortunate about the story, or not, maybe not unfortunate, but when we read that and we read the word talent, automatically in English, we, we go to skills and abilities, your talents. Maybe you've got woodworking skills or like whatever it is. We, we automatically go to like talents and abilities. But, but this story, a talent back in that day and time was really a, a weight measurement. It was a measurement of weight, and it had a financial value attached to it based on what you were weighing. And, and so let me just give the most simple example that I can think of. Let's just say a talent is one pound. It's a weight measurement. So let's just say one talent is one pound, okay? One pound of dirt versus one pound of gold. Which is more valuable? It's the gold. Let's say that together. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it could depend on the dirt, man. If you're like, I don't know. Anyway, that's a simple example. You get what I'm saying, right? One pound of dirt, one pound of gold, they weigh the same, but one's more valuable than the other. And so as Jesus is telling the story in this day and time, that the most standard thing that they weighed, that they used it as a, as a talent, as a weight of measurement, was silver. Uh, they, they would have a talent of copper or gold or silver, and they would all have a different value. And, and so while Jesus is telling this story, most scholars believe he's referring to silver. And so in that day and time, one talent of silver, one weight of silver was worth 20 years' salary. 
So for some of you, I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't care how you slice it. For instance, if you make minimum wage here in Kansas, an annual one-year salary at minimum wage is $15,000 times 20 is $300,000. So in the story, when the master gives five talents, in essence, he gave that guy $1.5 million, and he gave the second guy $600,000, and the guy who got one talent, $300,000. See, oftentimes we read the story and we go, oh, that poor guy who got one talent, <laughs> well, he got a lot of money. And so Jesus is saying, you're given those things, five and two and one, based on what you can handle. So, so on one level, it's about investing money and resources, but it's also how we use our God-given talents and abilities. Your responsibility is tied to your ability. The, the things that God has, has given you, God entrusts different stuff to different people according to his purposes. And we may say, well, that doesn't sound fair, but we're all different. See, in this room right now, we all make different amounts of money and salary. Some of us have uh, spheres of influence that are large. Some of us have spheres of influence that are small. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you've been given has been given to you by God, and he gives those things. He entrusts different things to different people according to his purposes. He's God. He gets to do what he wants to do. And in this parable, he's saying we, he's giving us what we can handle. And there's always room for improvement because as the story goes along, you know that they're in, entrusted with more. And so you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm just a one-talent person. I'll always forever be a one-talent person. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying wherever you're at in life right now, God gives different people. He entrusts different things to different people uh, based on different abilities and seasons of life than, that they're in according to his purposes. You tracking with me? Awesome. Here's the third lesson I think Jesus is trying to teach. That we must invest what we've been given. That we've got to invest those things that we've been given. Whatever's been entrusted to you, you have to put back in play. Now, as we read the story, I want you to notice that there were no specific instructions given uh, to these gentlemen, these servants, as to what they were supposed to do with the talent, with the money that had been given to them. But the first two chose to invest it. They chose to take that money and invest it and do something with it. The last guy chose to do nothing with it, right? In essence, he was a slacker who buried his blessing. He buried what the master had given to him. And so the question in front of us this morning is, as God has given you time, as God has given you talent, and as God has given you treasure, what are you doing with those things? Are you investing them for kingdom purposes, or have you buried it? Have you hidden it from public view? Are you doing something with the time and the talent and the treasure that God has given you? We must invest what we've been given. Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm leaving. I've spent three years imparting all kinds of stuff to you. My expectation is, is that you're going to use it. And in fact, we know that they did because you and I are sitting here today as a result of their obedience to investing the things that God had given them. So you've got to invest. I've got to invest those things that God gives us. Here's the fourth lesson. An audit is coming. 
an audit is coming. Do you notice in the story that this is how it would work? The master would, would leave. He would entrust uh, the, the estate, the, the vineyard, the winery to his servants. Then he would go away. But here's what he would do. He would come back again. And the scripture tells us that he would settle accounts. And so he would come to each one of his servants and he would say to them, hey, this is what I gave you. What did you do with it? And the expectation was is that they would leave it in better shape than, than when the master left. That, that when he returned, that the estate would maybe be producing more, that the farm would be producing more, that if it was just money that they would have invested it, that they would have made. These are very wealthy men, right? And so their expectation is that, that they're coming back to more, not less than when they left, but they're coming back to more. And so there's this settling up of accounts. And in the story, he comes to the one with five, and he goes, how'd you do? And the one with two, how'd you do? And the one with one, how'd you do? It's kind of like the IRS. When we think about audit and we think about the story, it's like the IRS. You don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever been audited by the IRS? Ugh. Wendy and I were male audited by the IRS. That, that means that no one showed up at our door like looking at all of our computers and our records or anything like that. They simply just sent, you go to the door and like the post guy's there and it's like, hey, I need you to sign for this. And at first you're kind of like, awesome. Maybe I won something. So then you sign for it, and then he hands you this letter from the IRS. You open it up, and you're like, hey, you did your taxes wrong a couple of years ago. You owe us a few grand. That's a fun letter to get. When we think audit, that's kind of what we think about, right? But, but that's kind of what this is like. There, there's going to be an accounting. It says that when Jesus returns someday, there's going to be an accounting. What, what have you done with what I gave you? What, what, what did you do with your influence? How did you spend your time? What, 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 what did you do with what I left you with? Jesus is coming back. And here, here's what I know, is that since we all don't have the same skills and talents and abilities and treasure and resources, whether your job is small or whether your job is large, all you have to do is worry about your job. You, you, you're... You only have to worry about you, small or large. You have to do the best of your ability. And if you'll do the best of your ability with what God's given you, then you'll be ready for the audit. It's that simple. But one day Jesus is coming again, and he's going to, and you, let me tell you, because we got families in here, I mean this in the nicest way possible. He's not going to return and go, hey, did you give your kids all those advantages that the other kids had, like private lessons and sports and all that? Is that what you guys did with your time? You gave your kids all the, that's awesome. He's not going to say that. He's not going to ask you that question. He's going to say, what, what did you do with your time? And you're going to say, well, we spent it on ourselves. Or not. You're going to reply, I invested my time and my talent and treasure in things of the kingdom. One day an audit's coming when Jesus returns. And this is not a bad thing. I'm going to clarify this. This is not a bad thing. Oftentimes we see this because we think IRS. We think IRS bad. And when we read that one day Jesus is coming back, there's an accounting and an audit. That's bad. It's not bad. Okay, hang with me. Here's the fifth lesson. And here's why. Because what we do with what we have reveals how we view God. What we do with what we have reveals our view of God. Here's the deal. A wrong view of God leads to fear. A healthy and right view of God leads to faith. 
Now I'm going to say that for you one more time. A wrong view of God leads to fear, and a healthy view of God leads to faith. Did you notice in the story, the master, he is thrilled with the first two servants who've done the investing? Did did you notice that in the story? It's awesome. If you're a a leader of any kind, maybe you have employees, this is a great business lesson. Here's what I want you to notice, is that the master did three things here. He did affirmation, promotion, and celebration with those first two guys. First thing he did, he goes, man, good job. Well done. You did a great job with the stuff I left you. He affirmed them. Well done. Good job. Then he promoted them. And he said, hey, since you did such a good job, I'm going to give you more. So maybe they got a better title. Maybe they got a better salary. We don't really know. We just know that they got more. Their territory was expanded. Their responsibility was expanded. They were given more. There was promotion. There was affirmation, good job, then promotion, and then celebration. He said, enter into the joy of your master. High five. Let's celebrate together. Affirmation, promotion, celebration. These guys were found good and faithful because they had a right view of God. That They weren't afraid of God. In fact, here's what I would like to think. Uh, about these servants is those guys that got the five talent and the two talent guys that, that when the master left and said, hey, I'm giving you five talents and two, that each one of them were like, awesome. This is great. Look at the opportunity that I have. They weren't living in fear. They saw this as an opportunity to do something with what they'd been given. And then the last guy, what does he do? Nothing. Why did he do nothing? Because he lived in fear of the master. In fact, he kind of made it about himself. He was the only one that responded with, when the master confronted him, he said, I knew, I always knew you were a hard man. I always knew you were a bad guy. And in fact, I didn't want to upset you or disappoint you, so I just took what you gave because I was afraid if you came back and I lost any money, oh boy, that you would maybe just take my life. I mean, that's kind of the spirit of what he's saying. And some of us live in that fear. And Jesus doesn't want you to live in that fear. He wants you to invest the things that you've been given. What you do with what you have reveals your view of God. In fact, we were singing a song a little bit earlier. It dawned on me as we, we were singing. It's like we sing, I, I, I am chosen, not forsaken. That could apply to this. Those first two felt like they were chosen. The last guy felt like he was forsaken. How you, what you do with what you've been given reveals how you view God. What are you doing with what's been given to you? And then here's the last lesson I think Jesus is trying to impart. What we have, we must use, or what we have, we will lose. This is what we see in the story, right? When he has that accounting, when he's settling up accounts with the last servant who had buried his talent, he uses these words the master does. They're pretty strong words. He calls him wicked and slothful. Another way to say that would be evil and lazy. He says, I gave you this, and you, you did nothing with it. That's evil. 
That's a hard word for us to hear this morning, isn't it? God's given you something. When you do nothing with it, it's evil. It's, it's not on the side of God. It's the opposite. And then he says, lazy. He says, when I've given you something and you do nothing with it, it's both evil and lazy. And the last guy, because he was evil and lazy and didn't do anything with what God had given him, he lost it. It's the use it or lose it principle. When God gives you something, you use it. If you don't, then you lose it. Friends, let me tell you the the magic of what happens here is when Jesus gives you something, your skills, your talents, your abilities, your influence, your power, your position, authority, is you don't go and bury it. You develop those things, and when you do, just like in the story, it compounds and multiplies. That's what we do with what we've been given. We develop it. We invest it. And when we do, God, in His way, just the same way He turns a couple of loaves and and some fish into something that feeds thousands, He does His math, His economics, it compounds and it multiplies when we invest our time, our talent, and treasure for the kingdom. And if you don't use it, then you lose it. Pretty simple lessons, huh? Again, about stewardship, but also about how we're spending our time between the now and the not yet. What you have isn't yours. What you've been given is given to you because God's given it to you based on your ability or position in life, and you have the opportunity for that to grow if you invest it wisely, because if you use it, it will multiply, it will compound if you're using it for his purposes and the kingdom. That's Jesus' story. And then Paul, several years later, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and he said something very similar. In fact, he's not saying it better than Jesus here, but he's reiterating the same exact story, but he's, he's writing this in a letter to the church in Corinth. I want you to see what Paul wrote. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me is it a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. That sounds crazy. That maybe sounds a little difficult to follow. Here's basically what he's saying. He's just saying, I'm only accountable to God for the things that I've been given. I'm to be a faithful steward. No one else can judge me on those things God's given me. God's my judge. He's going to evaluate me. When he comes again to settle accounts, it's God who matters, not anybody else. This is what Paul's saying there. Then he goes on. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation. Listen, that doesn't say condemnation. This isn't a fear thing. This is faith. You will receive your commendation from God. You see how I see Paul saying the same thing, just in a different way. And what Paul's getting at, here's what I think. 
Here's what happens to us, especially within a church context, is sometimes we compare ourselves to others with what we've been given compared to what they've been given, and, and then we get stymied and we freeze up. And we go, hey, one day I'll start giving, the church, giving to the church, I'll start tithing when I make as much money as that other person over there. I'm not going to invest the things that God's given me right now in the kingdom. But one day, when I look at this other guy, you know, he makes $60,000 a year. Boy, if I can get to that level and do what he's doing, then I'll start investing for the kingdom. Maybe one day when I'm retired, like this other guy who's worked his whole life and been able to retire at 57 or 58, one day when I can get to that level, if I can get to that level, I'll start to invest the extra time that I've been given for kingdom purposes. And so we start doing this comparison thing. And it's unhealthy. So you're responsible for what God's given you. This is good news. You are not responsible for the things that God has given me. You're not responsible for any talents or abilities or finances or influence that he's given me. And I'm not responsible for you. Each one of us is responsible for ourselves. It's only how God evaluates us that matters. And then... Let me leave you this one last thought. It's one last important question that we've got to ask ourselves this morning, and that's this. Will you be found faithful with what you've been given while you wait? Will you be found faithful with what God's given you while we're in the between the now and the not yet? See, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, you may think that this doesn't apply to you because on one level, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This implies that, that these are people who were already his followers. But let me ask you a question. If you're here and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, let me just tell you something. Okay, we're all sinners. Everybody in this room, everybody, Scripture tells us that everybody in this room has fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And because of that, our relationship with our Heavenly Father is broken. And it requires someone to bridge that gap. And he sent his son, Jesus, the first time around, 2,000 years ago, to live his life and to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then Jesus rose three days later to prove that. And Scripture tells us that we have the opportunity. Did you know this? Because we get this wrong in church all the time. We say that you can have eternal life. Did you know everyone has eternal life? Everybody has eternal life. It just matters where you get to spend it. And Jesus said, if you will trust him to be your Lord and Savior, then you get to spend eternity with him where Revelation tells us he's prepared a wedding feast. It's going to be the greatest party of all time and he wants you to be there. And so let me ask you a question. If you've been given that this morning, what do you do with it? Do you bury it? Or do you step into that? That's the gospel. That's what we call the good news. You've now been given something that you're responsible for. What do you do with it? And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, what, what are you doing? How are you living 
your life in between the now and the not yet? What are you doing with the things that God has given you? Again, I, I, I want to remind you, there's a, a lot of things that he's not going to ask you when he comes for an accounting. He, he's not going to say, oh man, that's really awesome. You climbed the corporate ladder. Oh, that's really awesome. You started your own company. Oh, that's really awesome that you provided all these things for your kids and went on all these vacations and you did that. You're not going to get asked any of those questions. He's going to say, what did you do for the kingdom? He's going to say, when you went on vacation, did you share the gospel with somebody and, and now there's more people in the kingdom because of that? Well, then that's awesome. He's going to say, did you take the resources as you were climbing the corporate ladder and give those to expand the kingdom? Because if you did, that's awesome. But there won't be affirmation and promotion and celebration just for doing things. What did you do with what he gave you? Did you invest them for heavenly kingdom purposes or did you not? That's the question that every one of us has to answer. You know, I was asked, I have some pastor buddies around the country and we call each other periodically every other week or month or whatever. We'll just check in with one another. I was talking to one of my friends a couple of weeks ago, and he asked me this question. He just said, hey, right now, where you're at in your ministry there in, in Lawrence, he said, what, what's your greatest concern? What, what, what's, what keeps you up at night? What's your greatest concern about your ministry there at Lawrence? And I had to share with him that my greatest concern, the thing that keeps me up at night after having read this parable is this, is will we live up to our potential as a church? Here's what I don't want to happen. For me, I'm not talking about you right now. This is just for me. Here's what I don't want to happen. I don't want that day of accounting to come. We're not to be afraid of that. I'm not afraid of Jesus's return. Here's what I'm afraid of is when he comes back, he says, I gave you five talents as you led that church, but you only produced two. You left three talents on the table. You didn't live to your potential. That's what keeps me up at night. We've done a lot of good things. I think Jesus overall is going to be pleased. It's not going to keep me out of heaven. My worth, my identity isn't based on how I lead this church. But what keeps me up at night is will we live up to our potential? See, God has something for us as a church. He's got something for you individually, but collectively all together, he has something for us. And one day when he returns, I, I want to be able to say, Jesus, you gave us five talents and we're giving you back five. Not you gave us five and we've given you back one. Will we reach our full potential? And, and here's how we get there. You do your job. I do my job. Rebecca does her job. Matt does his job. Robin does her job. And one day when Jesus comes back, we're going to say, this is the difference we made for you in our community. Here are the souls. Here are the people that are now inheriting the kingdom of God because we wisely invested the things that you gave to us. That's what Jesus is talking about here. How are you spending your time? What are you going to do while we wait? Are we going to run for the hills? Jesus is coming soon. Well, I might as well. I'm going to be lazy. I'm not going to do anything. Are we going to do something so that more people will find and follow Jesus? May we be found faithful.
Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. God, you have given each one of us, honestly, more than we deserve. God, we are grateful that you are provider, that you are creator, that you are sustainer, that you are the giver of every good and perfect thing. And Lord, this morning, I just confess for me that God, I don't always treat my stuff, my money, my opportunity, my influence, the things that you've given me, Lord, I just confess that I don't always invest them for your kingdom purposes. And so, Lord, I, my prayer this morning is that you would begin with me, that you would begin to do a work in me. And, Lord, that you would begin to do a work in us Because we look forward to your return. Lord, we are not afraid. We are not fearful of when you come back. Lord, we just want to be found faithful. So help everyone who can hear my voice in this room and the lobby, maybe later as they're listening online. Lord, help us to invest wisely for your kingdom. Or we need no trophies other than lives who will be at the wedding feast of the Lamb because we invested wisely. So may we be a church, God. Lord, break us if you have to. Stir our hearts to invest wisely for your purposes and your kingdom. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus who came and paid the ultimate price so that we could one day be called sons and daughters of God and inherit that kingdom. We pray this in his name. Amen.